are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong. And now, socially distancing from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, Jakey Van Stratton. Thank you so much, Helen Hong. Wonderful to see you. Nice to see you, as always. Uh, as we were recording this, we have just uh, finished the Halloween weekend. Uh, did you have a happy Halloween? This would be your first with uh, the baby that's in your home. First with the baby. We dressed the baby up as Coach Ted Lasso, which was a great success. And if you go to my Instagram at funny Helen Hong, you will be able to see said baby in said costume. But, Jay Keith, I am yeah. ashamed to say that we... Not related to our baby, but we had a Halloween fail. Oh, no. What happened? This is our second year in our home that we live in South L.A. And last year, we bought all this candy, and we didn't have a single trick-or-treater. Right. I remember. I, I don't get the vibe that, like, our neighborhood is a big trick-or-treating, like, venue. Like, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like kids do that kind of thing around here. Right. It's no Toluca Lake. Exactly. Exactly. So, and like, you know, people don't decorate their houses really, and there doesn't seem to be like a lot of kids that just go door to door. So we were like, it's not going to happen. So we bought no candy. And then, of course. Oh, no. Wouldn't you know. Oh, God. At like 7 p.m. We hear, we hear, oh, it was, oh, my God. Even talking about it is like, I'm traumatized for life. We hear the cutest, tiniest little voice knock on our door and go, Twinkle Tweet! Oh! Twinkle Tweet! And we literally had nothing. And my sister and I just hid. <laughs> we just hid. We had nothing. We just, we like, oh my God! And we just, we dove behind the couch and we hid. And I, I, we're never going to live it down. I mean, it's going to be like, I'm going to take it to my grave as one of the, the worst moments of humanity ever in my life. Well, that's and, why I always keep uh, a Butterfinger on hand because you never know throughout uh, the year when someone's going to come by. No, I don't. I, this happened to the same thing to me. I've been in my place 25 years. I've been in my apartment and only one time has anyone ever come by for trick-or-treating and it was the same thing. I actually didn't associate it like, oh, this person's here to trick-or-treat. I just thought, oh, someone is at the door perhaps to give me a package or something. <laughs> So I opened the door and he oh, just, no. and we just kind of stood there staring at each other. And then I was like, oh, I don't have anything. And he was like, okay. Oh, no. Well, next year, next oh. year, you're going to have a, a Mack truck full of stuff, I'm sure. I will buy like 75 pounds of candy <laughs> just to make up for this one little tiny voice that went, Tweet, tweet. Oh. Well, it's good to know that another holiday has inspired guilt in Helen Hong. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts and declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Helen, who is up first? He is an Eisner Award-winning writer of comic books, novels, TV, and more, whose work can be seen in Marvel Comics, DC Comics, and on Apple TV, it's Saladin Ahmed. Hello, Saladin Ahmed. 
Hi, how's it going? Good. For those who don't know, some of your work includes the novel Throne of the Crescent Moon, which was nominated for Hugo and Nebula Awards, the comic Black Bolt, which won you that Eisner Award. You've also been writing Miles Morales Spider-Man for three years. All very exciting stuff, but you recently started a new project kind of as your own publisher. Tell us about that. Yeah, my most recent kind of adventure in writing and publishing is uh, something called Copper Bottle. You can find it online at copperbottle.net and it's a subscription based Mm. what we're calling a pop-up imprint Mm. you know comics is typically a pretty exploitative (laughs) industry it is part of show business so yeah that would that would (laughs) yeah it's part and parcel of that and one of the darker corners sometimes of that and so any opportunity to kind of do something where creators actually own Mm. the stuff that they're making and Mm are going to reap the full benefit of it is is a big deal. Well, I've seen in some interviews, and it's obvious from your work, that you're a fan of the concept of world building. It's kind of a specialty of yours. How do you build a world? Like, where, where do you know even to start, and how do you keep track of everything? Well, it depends on um, what you're building that world for, I guess. You know, mm. it's there's a nerdy impulse to create and to populate, especially for those of us who kind of, like, grew up a little bit to ourselves and and populated things uh, in our own head when we were little mm. professionally doing that is is a kind of hallmark of fantasy right creating an, mm. a whole other world that has its own languages its own customs its own geography so world building is always part of what i do i uh, even mm-hmm. if i'm telling a story that takes place in detroit or if i'm telling a story that takes place in brooklyn those are specific places with specific histories, specific folks who live there, specific ways that people walk on the street and eat and and everything. And I always want to try to capture that, whether it's like an alien planet, a made up medieval kingdom, or whether it's like a borough of New York City, I want to try and evoke that. Very well said. I would think in working in all of these different worlds that you sometimes do simultaneously, is it hard to keep track of what belongs in what world, or does that just come second nature to you? I think last count, I was at like half a dozen projects currently. (laughs) uh, It can be a bit of a challenge. I try to (laughs) not work on anything that's too insanely similar at once so that I don't like literally make mistakes like that but it's 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 happened and and that's why yeah. editors are, are are a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, how did Spider-Man end up in Westeros? Yeah, sir. <laughs> yeah. Last thing I want to ask you about, you were able to do something that I think is amazing, which is you affected change via Twitter by pointing out a racial injustice that you saw on Corn Pops. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, this was uh, several years ago, and it's a bit of a bizarre claim to fame, but I guess it will always follow me. There was a piece of artwork on the back of this Core Pops box. My kid and I were sitting there looking at this box, and it's this mall scene of all the Corn Pops sitting there uh, enjoying their time at the shopping mall. There's one Corn Pop that was, like, sweeping up after all the other Corn Pops, and it was brown. Whereas all the other <gasps> corn pops were like oh, no. regular corn pop color. The corn really... pops were racist, racist <laughs> corn pop art. It was bizarre. And I, I, and I, it wasn't even me. You know, whenever my daughter hears about me uh, getting credit for this, she's like, I'm the one who noticed that. You know, she was like seven, <laughs> seven years old at the time or something. And, uh, wow. and, and, uh, you know, to their credit, I, uh, you know, very angrily, uh, was a much angrier Twitter user in those days got on and, and, and blasted Kellogg's and they, uh, they responded quite quickly. Did they change the box? They did. They did. Uh, uh, you know, Whoa. so it was like, yeah, hey, that's cool. That's cool. You know, 
That's very cool. Yeah. Social justice in the serial world. <laughs> yeah. It I mean, matters. we kid about it, but it but it does matter. It really does matter. 100%. You know, people see. Yep. Yeah. Very That's cool. A- Excellent. Well, we're so happy that you joined us today. It's Saladin Ahmed. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. All right, Helen, against whom will Saladin be competing? She is a writer with bylines in The New Yorker, The Washington Post, and more, whose book, Culture Warlords, was hailed by Time Magazine as 100 must-read books of 2020. It's Talia Lavin. Hello, Talia. Hi. Yes, it was all 100. Uh, was, I, just, I just, just realized we should have said one of a hundred, but well, no, they got rid of the other ninety-nine, and they said wow. only read culture warlords. Yes, and buy and buy one hundred copies. Buy one hundred copies for yourself <laughs> and all of your friends. It was very profitable <laughs> advice for me, but somewhat baffling for time to do. Um, well, this is a great demonstration that you pay attention to words, uh, which, which is very important in your profession as well. Uh, before we get into that, uh, you actually had recommended Saladin for being on the show with you. Tell us about how you know each other and why you thought you could beat him in a uh, game of trivia. I realize now all the topics I provided are basically fantasy, and I asked like a fantasy author and. <laughs> <laughs> You're like mm, rethinking your choices. <laughs> yeah, this is big hubris on my part, but no, I mean. We're basically both big nerds who are on Twitter a lot and became friends that way. Oh, that's lovely. And um, I'm about to lose in a humiliating fashion. (laughs) But that's something that I'm very good at doing on game shows. Well, it's funny you bring that up because I know that uh, one of the times that you went viral was because of a uh, a geeking moment on Jeopardy. Can you tell us about that memorable final answer that you gave and uh, how it went viral? Yeah, and it was 2015, which is a slightly different viral landscape. Like things would stay viral for a week as opposed mm. to like four seconds. <laughs> yeah, like I just like gave a doofy final answer because I didn't final Jeopardy. This was before, like obviously the dearly departed Alex Trebek is, mm-hmm. but was still host. The question was like something about a song. Which song was censored about censorship was censored at the Oscars something like that? And I was like, oh no. I was like so far down. I had like 600. The actual answer was Blame Canada from South Park. But I said, what is the love ballad of Turd Ferguson? P.S. Hi, Mom, Smiley. (laughs) (laughs) You had 30 seconds to think of a joke. Think of a joke. It's very high stakes. (laughs) And it was really stupid. But then like someone from writer from Up Rocks or one of these viral. Yeah, I think it was Up Rocks. It was like, this contestant tricked Alex Trebek into saying Turd Ferguson on air. <laughs> like, like, what a generous framing Like that made it seem so much cleverer than I was. How did Alex respond? Just, like, stone-faced. <laughs> professional. Yeah. He told me he didn't know what Turd Ferguson was, and I was yeah? like, there's an SNL sketch about me. Like, I'm going to know what Everything. it is, but I guess yeah. I'm not... <laughs> It was quite an experience. It was very viral. And the thing that went viral immediately afterwards and sort of supplanted me was Pizza Rat. Oh, um, wow. You got in just in time. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, you got dethroned by Pizza Rat? I don't know if that's like, if I don't know if that's awesome or not awesome. I'm like, Pizza Rat, come find me. We'll have some Xanax and like a <laughs> bottle of wine. <laughs> well, I look forward to your answers and jokes perhaps on this show as well. Uh, I do want to ask you a little bit about your book, Culture Warlords. You went undercover in a lot of online hate groups, which is not a lot of fun. But you also went to a dating site for these kinds of people. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, it's called whitedate.net. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> I'm, like, not surprised that a whites-only dating site is so unimaginative with their name. <laughs> yeah. well, <laughs> well, you know why? They, they don't have a lot of Jewish writers. <laughs> so I posed as a, an Iowan hunting enthusiast named Ashlyn, because that was the, the whitest name I could think of. Mm, it's mm. just the consonants, really. Yeah, <laughs> and I asked people to write love letters to their ideal white wife, and then I printed them in my book. Oh um, man! Wow. So you well, should read it. It's full yeah. of shenanigans. Yeah, that that <laughs> shenanigans is definitely what I think of when I think of <laughs> getting to know white supremacists. <laughs> well, so, yeah. well, I think it's important that you helped expose that, even though it's silly. Obviously, it's something very serious, and I and I think what's great is the book really talks about how we can fight back as well, and and uh, people can check that book out called Culture Warlords. I know you've got another book coming up also, so we'll look forward to that. We're so happy that you've joined us, Talia Lavin. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm excited. Talia and Saladin, we ask each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Saladin, you said you know a lot about mythological monsters, 20th century American poetry, and action figure cartoons of the 1980s. Whereas Talia, you said you know a lot about the TV show Star Trek The Next Generation, (laughs) author Terry Pratchett, and the Monkey Island video game series. Saladin is laughing with delight. I think he's ready to pounce on any of your topics, but we'll get to that a little later. I think I can handle mythological bombs. All right. Well, later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, pain in the butt. First up is Saladin with pain. Your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? I will let them tell you themselves because we have a listener recording. Listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on Get Involved. Okay, hit it. Hi there. This is Jan Brick from Salem, Massachusetts. My question for What's the Difference is... While they both might be something that causes pain, what's the difference between tortuous and torturous? Love you guys. Thank you so much, Jan. All right, Saladin, you heard our listener. What is the difference between tortuous and torturous? I'm going to assume that torturous has to do with actual physical pain and tortuous is uh, something having to do with tedium or some such. I already know that's wrong, but, you know, you have to try, right? You do have to try, and we appreciate your trying. And please, please do not be embarrassed. These are very challenging terms, so we don't want you to feel embarrassed at all. All right, we've got Saladin's answer. We don't know yet if he is correct. Talia, if you think he's got it exactly right, you can steal. What do you think? I think tortuous means twisted, Mm -hmm. like in the sense of sort of physically twisted, and torturous Mm -hmm. means having to do with torture. It can be like physical or mental pain. I'm taking a tortuous path to the torturous process. Wow, very nice use of both terms. We don't know it if it's correct, but it is impressive. All right, this segment is becoming painful. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. Both tortuous and torturous come from the Latin root torcare, which means to twist or wind. But the difference is tortuous, with only one R, refers to something that, true to its Latin root, twists or winds, 
either literally like a mountain road or figuratively like a complicated mystery. Torturous, with that pesky second R, refers to anything that deliberately inflicts pain. That is right. Of course, something can be both tortuous and torturous, as Talia mentioned. In fact, one of the early forms of torture involved literally twisting people's limbs until they came off. And that kind of treatment should be reserved only for your sister's Barbie dolls. Helen, how did they do? I think each of you got one point. Yeah, because uh, Saladin, you got torturous, correct, actual physical pain. And Talia, you got twisted correct. Very good. One point for each of you. All right. Up next in pain in the butt is Talia with butt. Talia, they both can be found in the butt region, as it's called medically. But what is the difference in the functions of the anus and the rectum? The anus and the rectum. Guys, it's been 94 episodes. We got to sometimes go into the things that uh, are not the most pleasant. We got to dive into the poopy waters. Yeah, we might have to. Thank you, Helen. I feel really... How do I not know this? Like, I have them. You do? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm relieved to hear that. <laughs> this is, again, a pure guess. And yeah. so the anus is where stuff comes out. And the mm-hmm. rectum is like the, the muscle that you can squeeze to keep stuff from coming out or going in. That's my guess. Okay. That is your guess. All right. We don't know if that's entirely correct. Saladin, what do you think? Uh, my familiarity here might be a little disturbing, but um, uh, anus is the opening itself, I believe. And mm-hmm. where, whereas I think Tali is correct that the rectum is the muscle. Okay. Well, we need to evacuate this segment. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table <laughs> for the facts. Well said, J. Keith. Thank you. <laughs> Here are the facts. Both the rectum and the anus serve important roles in ridding the body of, let us say, leftovers that have not been absorbed from the digestive tract. But the difference is the rectum is the storage area that collects the leftovers from the large intestine. The anus is the muscular opening that expels the leftovers as a waste. Uh, That is right. Um, By the way, I had a bunch of anus and rectum jokes prepared, but I think we all know where this is going to go. So instead, I'll just say, Helen, how did our guest do? (laughs) I think that Saladin got anus correct. I don't know. I I mean, I've never said that sentence about anyone, (laughs) Saladin. So uh, this is a first. Yeah, Saladin, I think you got anus correct because you said it's the opening itself. Uh, I don't think either one of you got rectum correct. We got wrecked. You did get wrecked, but not rectum. (laughs) So uh, one point for Saladin. Excellent. All right. Well, what is our score at the end of that round, Helen? At the end of that round, Saladin Ahmed has two points and Talia Lavin has one point. All right. But those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Helen Hong, we talked earlier about Halloween and about trick-or-treating and what to give or not give when you decide not to hide behind your couch when (laughs) trick-or-treaters come. And that just made me think of the kind of things that I enjoy so much. What would I like to receive more than anything else when I go trick-or-treating? I am going to take a wild guess and say, Magic Spoon Cereal! Magic Spoon Cereal! Oh, I 
of course, enjoy it as a cereal because, you know, healthy breakfast doesn't have to be boring and Magic Spoon has all these amazing flavors you love without the carbs and the sugar, but it's also delicious as a snack. I eat it by, I would say, the handful, and I'm being very <laughs> modest by not making that plural. I have handfuls of it at a time. It is so delicious, but it's also not bad for me. In fact, it's wonderful. Helen, tell them why it's so wonderful. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 140 calories, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. You can build your own box. Available flavors to build your very own custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and cream, and maple waffle. Yeah, that's right. And now they just brought back their original flavor called Original. You don't have to be clever when you've got a great flavor like Original. Make sure to get that at magicspoon.com. Oh, but don't just go to magicspoon.com. We've got a special offer for you. What is it, Helen? Go to magicspoon.com slash gofact to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code gofact at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash gofact and use the code gofact to save $5 off. Have a great Halloween in retrospect. Thank, Thank you, you Mag Magic Spoon. Spoon. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Here's a metaphor for you. You know, we take our cars to get tuned up to prevent bigger issues down the road. We get annual checkups and go to the gym to maintain physical wellness and prevent injury and disease. Well, going to therapy is like all of that. It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness to prevent bigger issues down the road. Therapy doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It means you're investing in yourself to keep your mind healthy. I'm in therapy, and I am glad that I am, and so are the people in my life. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It can be more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. You invest in so many things. Why invest in everything else and not in your mind? Get help. Get better help. We're so glad this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and you'll be glad that Go Fact Yourself listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash gofact. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash gofact. Thank, Thank you, you BetterHelp. Better Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Saladin Ahmed and Talia Lavin. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Saladin, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about mythological monsters, 20th century American poetry, and action figure cartoons of the 1980s. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us why you chose mythological monsters as a topic that you love. I guess because I've always been a sort of a fantasy nerd, and uh, it's always been particularly the weird and strange creatures from various traditions that have kind of entranced me so who are the ones that particularly speak to you uh, because of my cultural background there's uh you know some kind of interested in the jinn but mm -hmm. um even classically greek mythology you know i was always a, a minotaur nerd something about the the, 
the maze, I, uh, I think is, uh, yeah. is compelling. I'm a, I'm a Medusa girl myself. Oh yeah. 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 She's yeah. awesome. She was yeah. so wronged, man. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Justice for Medusa. Yeah. All right, Salad, you also said you know a lot about 20th century American poetry. I like a lot of poetry, although it's, uh, I, I have some particular corners that I'm uh, more knowledgeable about than others. So it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting if that yeah. pops up. I'm, I nominally have a master's degree in English, although it's been a good number of years. And I think um, being a dad has, has wrecked my brain in the meantime. So. <laughs> <laughs> they say fatherhood is the demise of poetry in the it's, it's, it's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, you said you know a lot about action figure cartoons of the 1980s. Yeah, I I mean, that's just basically my youth, you know, is like hours and hours. Um, I'm, I'm always amused when I see people my age um, or older talk about how much time uh, younger people spend online because I just think back to how many hours we spent sitting there watching cartoons on tv mm. when i was a kid you know i'm gen x mm -hmm. and most of them were basically aimed at selling us toys so yeah e-man <laughs> and the masters of the universe transformers gi joe thundercats all of that stuff so is pretty permanently ingrained into my dna awesome well to summarize saladin you said you know a lot about mythological monsters 20th century american poetry and action figure cartoons of the 1980s today we're going to quiz you about Action figure cartoons of the 1980s. Big right. thumbs up from Saladin on that. What were some of your favorite action figure cartoons of the 1980s? Oh, gosh. Let's see. I was a big He-Man nerd. I was uh, mm -hmm. big into G.I. Joe, despite all the uh, anti-imperialism warnings from my dad. I was uh, <laughs> uh, a big Transformers dork, Thundercats. Really, uh, yeah. I, I was not terribly critical in my consumption. As a <laughs> so if you put it in front of me. I would consume it. <laughs> well, Saladin, you mentioned that a lot of these shows were designed to sell kids toys. You watched the shows. Did you collect the toys as well? You know, we um, we didn't have tons of money in my house growing up, but every bit that I could kind of squeeze out of my folks that didn't go to like Dungeons and Dragons books <laughs> went, went to action figures. So yeah, I had, I had a pretty reasonable collection. Very cool. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject with our expert level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Talia, do listen closely because if Saladin answers incorrectly, you can steal. Talia, how much do you know about action figure cartoons of the 1980s? Something relevant is I grew up Orthodox Jewish, so Saturday morning cartoons were not a thing in my life. Right. Couldn't turn on the TV. So I'm exceptionally weak on this topic. All right. Well, we'll see if Saladin gives you a chance to show how much or little you know. Here's question number one for Saladin. One of the most enduring action figure cartoons of the 1980s inspired one of the most popular action figure movie franchises of the present day, with the first of the series appearing in 2007 and the seventh installment, Rise of the Beasts, scheduled for summer of 2022. What is the name of this series known for its robots in disguise? Transformers. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. Fun fact, we talked with actor David Mendenhall about appearing in the original Transformers cartoon series when he was on episode 85 of Go Fact Yourself. All right, Saladin, here's question number two. The Transformers, like another 1980s action figure cartoon, G.I. Joe, was made by a huge toy manufacturer that in the mid-1980s surpassed Mattel to become the world's largest. What's the name of this company, which also was responsible for 1980s toy cartoons My Little Pony and Pound Puppies? That would be Hasbro. 
Helen? That is correct. That is correct for another point. Very good. Fun fact, Hasbro was founded by three brothers named Hassenfeld, the Hassenfeld brothers, Hasbro, Hasbro. Uh, mm-hmm. Another fun fact, G.I. Joe was first introduced in 1964 and then relaunched with that cartoon in 1982. All right, here's question number three. Kenner also got in the game of making action figure cartoons in the 1980s with their series called Mask. Mask was not based on the Eric Stoltz movie, but instead was an acronym M-A-S-K. What did those letters stand for? And we'll give you a quarter point for each one you can name. Mobile, armored, strike, and a really um, agrammatic command with a K. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. You got all exactly right for the full point. Very nice. Back to me. Oh my god. Very impressive. (laughs) I thought you were going to stumble at command, but you didn't. You had command of it. You did. Yes. I was just going to guess America. (laughs) (laughs) That is correct. Command with a K. Uh, Fun fact: the lyrics to the theme song of Mask began: "Masked Crusaders working overtime, fighting crime." Fighting crime. <laughs> and it's a pretty great song. I recommend checking it, it out. Is. All right, Saladin, you're a three for three. You still have your two hints available. Let's see how you do with this possibly more challenging question. Hasbro didn't just turn violent action figures into cartoons of the 1980s. They also exploited women. For example, there was <laughs> Jem, the animated series and toy about a young woman named Jerrica Benton, whose alter ego Jem led an all-female band called the Holograms. But besides Jem, give us one other member of the Holograms. Can I have a hit, please? Yes, Helen, how about that first hint? The main songwriter of the band was Jerrica Benton's sister, whose name is a slightly shortened version of the name Kimberly. Oh, Kimber, of course. She had red hair. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Kimber Benton. Very, very nice, Saladin. Fun fact, Jem's speaking voice was provided by Samantha Newark, her singing voice by Britta Phillips. Bonus fun fact, Jem was outrageous. Truly, truly, truly outrageous. All right, Saladin, you have a chance to go five for five if you can get this question correct. The 1988 show Dino Riders was pretty obviously produced in order to sell toys made by Tyco, but the show was launched in a novel way as part of a syndicated block of various animated shows such as cartoon versions of The Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man, a property of which you are quite familiar. What was the name of this block of shows that featured various action stars from the Marvel Universe? It was, oh, I get a second hint, don't I? You do get a second hint? May I have that hint, please? Yes, I think it might prove helpful. Helen, how about that second hint? <laughs> it rhymes with Blarvel Blackshin Blueniverse. <laughs> it was the Marvel Action Universe. Helen? Wow, you are correct. You are correct. An excellent use of the hint. Very well done. And Saladin Ahmed is five for five. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. I don't know how you pulled that from the hint. Yeah, Helen, it must have been your delivery. I'm shook. Mine like a steel trap. (laughs) (laughs) And how cool that you are now part of the Marvel Action Universe with the right thing to do for them. Yeah. That's very cool. All right. Well, Saladin, you obviously did very well in that round. But now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. 
Saladin, perhaps the quintessential action figure cartoon of the 1980s is, as you mentioned, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, where the toys were created before the cartoon was, and the cartoon was designed to sell those toys. He-Man had to face a series of villains, each with distinct voices. We're going to ask you to listen to each of these clips, and we'll ask you to identify the villainous character that you hear. All right? So here is clip number one. You overgrown alley cat, you pathetic pair of pitiful pinheads, you tin-tongued dolt. I'm talking about my patience, not my body. That was clip number one. Saladin was grinning very widely as he was listening to that clip. I have a feeling he knows that one. But before you answer, here's clip number two. Let me deal with her. Here's a goal. Her guardian, man-at-arms. Rescue the victim I had chosen for the sea demon. I now demand revenge! Alright, Saladin also grinning widely. That's uh, clip number two. And finally, here's clip number three. Man-at-arms, you're amazing. What a waste using your genius only to do good. But I'll soon change that. Nerbs, power me! Little bonus uh, sound effect there at the end. All right, Saladin, for up to three points, who are the three bad guys we just heard? My goodness, um, what masterful performances those were. The first was Skeletor, one of the best voice acting jobs of any villain in, in TV history, in my opinion. I unfortunately don't know the voice actor, but it, it was Skeletor. The second one was mm-hmm. Merman, uh, mm-hmm. the kind of fishy bad guy. The third one, I'm going to guess Hodak, but I believe that's wrong. Hodak. All right. Well, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is an actor who for over six decades has appeared in dozens of TV shows and movies and who provided the voices on several of our favorite cartoons, including all the voices we just heard from He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. It's Alan Oppenheimer. Hello, Mr. Oppenheimer. Hello. <laughs> I was worried, is he going to do the Skeletor voice? And you come in hot with it. We love yes. it. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I'm a little older and the voice is deeper. <laughs> well, Incredible. if you don't mind my saying, sir, this year you turned 91 years old. Whoa. And you oh, look and sound fantastic. Congratulations. Oh, it's a miracle, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's the mustache. It must be. <laughs> Well, you heard the wonderful praise that Saladin had for the voice work of whoever it was that was Skeletor. Uh, We'll talk about He-Man in a little bit, but just a little bit of your resume here. You appeared in dozens of movies, including Westworld, Private Benjamin, Freaky Friday, on TV shows like Happy Days, Bewitched, I Dream of Genie, The Partridge Family, Bonanza. And uh, our producer Jim noted that just in the past 24 hours before we recorded this show, on basic cable, you could be seen on episodes of Barney Miller, Diagnosis Murder, and Hogan's Heroes. Holy Christ. (laughs) So there's no excuse for people not being familiar with your work. That's right. Congratulations on such a wonderful career. Well, You you had said uh, of the the on-camera roles that you got, you'd said, uh, if you're bald, you're a bad guy or a lawyer. That's right. You never get the girl. You never kiss. No, no. (laughs) Our listeners would probably be interested in knowing that you were on three different Star Trek series, including one that is one of Talia's topics that we're going to discuss a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, Tell us about your experience being on the Star Trek shows. Were you a fan of the show before? No. No? Okay. (laughs) So just a gig. Just a gig. To me, it was a killer in makeup, you know? (laughs) Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I remember when I played uh, Karath. That was a three and a half hour makeup. <gasps> Whoa. And an hour and a half to take it off because we're going to use it the next day. You know, the, 
prosthetic. Yeah. And the spirit gum after a while got to burn the face, you know. Oh, oof. Never shave before you put on spirit gum. Ooh. Never. <laughs> Good showbiz tip. Were you a Klingon or a Ferengi or, or what? Karath was a Klingon. Ah, oh, yes. It's very difficult for me to say which show was which character. Right. Mm. I leave that to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I imagine after such a long career, it's like asking someone about a piece of paper they filed 40 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. I look sometimes at people refers to a a show I didn't. I look it up on the IMDB. I have no recollection of what we're doing. (laughs) Amazing. There's about 350 items on that IMDB. Well, a lot of those, of course, were uh, voice work. You did characters on the Smurfs. You did Mighty Mouse, Scooby-Doo, the Transformers, as we talked about, and still working. You recently were on uh, Space Jam, the new version of that. Yes. How did you get into doing cartoon voices in the first place? You were already a successful on-camera actor. I was an on-camera actor, and I was also doing commercials. I was working all the time, and I figured I'm going to wear out my welcome, you know. So I said to my agent, I'd like to do uh, some announcing voiceovers. He said, oh, well, all right, well, all right, reluctantly. And from there on, I just worked all the time. There were about 10 of us out here who had the whole thing sewn up. Mm. And about 10 in New York. Now there's 17,000 who are competing from home, you know. Right. Entirely different. How did you go from doing commercial voiceovers, which I'm assuming are announcer-type roles, to doing more, uh, you know, characters in cartoons? Well, I did do a couple of characters, uh, like Winchell's Donuts. I I said, oh, no, not the lemon. (laughs) That was one. (laughs) Obviously memorable from your reaction. (laughs) Is that you remember? My agent sent me up to Filmation for this new series, He-Man. And Lou Scheimer uh, showed me the sketch, you know, the cell. And immediately a voice came to my mind because of the bony head. So I made him <laughs> nasal. The laugh that came in in the second or third episode, I just stuck it in maybe because I was embarrassed the way I'd read the line. I don't know. But the laugh became iconic. And yeah. I could tell you stories at international travels where the cab driver almost drove off the road when I did that <laughs> laugh. Uh, I said, oh, yeah, did you ever watch He-Man? I said, well, yeah, 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 yeah. So I went <laughs> into the curb. That's great. Different cabs, different drivers, same reaction. That's great. Wow. That is quite yeah. a calling card for you to have. That's right. You actually did many voices on that show. You did Cringer and Battle Cat and Mad in Arms, also the, the voices that we heard, which we'll get into. You sometimes had to do multiple characters in the same scene. Were you really just talking to yourself, doing the different voices? Yeah, I love doing that. I see. Yeah, I love doing that. I sometimes said to Lou Scheimer, uh, le- I don't want to just do Skeletor all the way go through and then pick up Merman all the way through. Let me just talk to myself. <laughs> so I could do like, then uh, Merman, you idiot. Oh, don't call me an idiot. Wow. It was great fun to talk to yourself, yeah. you know. Your favorite scene partner. You yeah. can't <laughs> criticize yourself. Yeah. You shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> you were part of a recent Netflix reboot of uh, He-Man. What was it like being back and how is it different than before? I came in with a different character. That's Moss right. Man. Moss Man. I'd never done Moss Man before until I did it out in here somewhere, you know, <laughs> which is a throat ripper. Once <laughs> again, I saw the drawing. You know, yeah. he's a big green guy. So really it's a collaborative process when you're coming up with a voice for uh, an animated show. They will they hire you assuming that you're right for it. Like I did the old alarm clock on Toy Story 4. Mm-hmm. Well, all I had to do was see that old alarm clock and I, you know, I kind of knew what I wanted to do with that. That's all. Wow. 
And uh, you've said that your favorite voice role that you did was from The NeverEnding Story. Uh, why was that your favorite? Oh, Falcor and also The Rockbiter. What? Was... You did Falcor? Falcor! <laughs> yes, ma'am. Oh, my God. I'm freaking out. <laughs> I read for Wolfgang when he came out here in Los Angeles. And he said, well, that's fine. And I, again, he showed me the cell of this beautiful luck dragon. And I just put a slow thing to it. Because the first line he had was, leaving so soon. <laughs> I've died. I'm dead over here. Oh my there are a lot of smiles. A lot of smiles on this Zoom call right now. Wow. <laughs> really neat. I was curious, why were you uncredited in that film? Was and that something that, that upset you? Because I you know, beats the shit out of me. <laughs> It's because I didn't have a proper agent. Ah, okay. The ah. blessing is that people wanted to know and found out. Yeah, oh, that is great. Wow. Well, the work definitely speaks for mm. itself. Yeah. And then I was on my way out the door. He said, oh, can you come back here? I wonder if you can do the rock biter. Well, I saw the rock biter, and I loved the rock biter. All these hands are very powerful <laughs> and beautiful. I love doing the rock biter. Uh, so I was again. I was halfway out the door. He says, "Look, oh, uh, can you come? Can you do Gamork?" <laughs> so I saw Gamork. I did Gamork. Then, as again, I think I'm out. He said, "Could you do the narration at the end?" Mm. Mm. So I did the summation narration ending with, of course. But that's another story. <gasps> mm. I think I peed myself a little bit. Oh my god. <laughs> I think the takeaway here is don't always leave. Just sort of stay halfway out the door, see if they're going to call you back, and then uh, add more roles. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, this has been so wonderful. Let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question yes. that we asked of Saladin, asking him to identify each of those three villains. Helen, what was yes. the first answer that Saladin gave for that first clip that we played? Saladin said Skeletor. And Mr. Oppenheimer? Yeah, that's right. That's right Yay. for the point, of course. Very good. Helen, what was the second answer that he gave for clip number two? Saladin said merman. And <laughs> Another I'm point for Saladin. <laughs> Excellent. And we wanted to know who was that uh, villain in clip number three. Helen, what did Saladin say? He said Hodak. And Mr. Oppenheimer? Hodak was George DiCenzo. Oops. It was Negator. Negator. And uh, you said that that was, you didn't even remember that you had done that voice when I played you that clip. No, no, I had no recollection of that. <laughs> that makes me feel much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun when we can stump the expert. Saladin, while we have Mr. Oppenheimer here, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to him? I'd just like to acknowledge the debt. You know, so many of us were, uh, were, were little folks glued in front of that box, listening to those magical voices. And those of us who went on to tell stories in other mediums, it left an impression. So thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you. I was inspired by listening to radio, the mm. same as you were mm. with television. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, you've certainly inspired a lot of people with the work that you've done. We're so happy that you joined us. If people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they do that? I don't have social media, so you'll have to just dig somewhere. I don't know, but I don't, <laughs> I don't do Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. Uh, oh. you're, you're a happy person. Yeah, that probably explains that big smile on your face. Well, you brought a smile to all of our faces. Thank you so much for joining us, Alan Oppenheimer. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. Thank Very you, glad to hear that. All right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Saladin Ahmed has nine points, and Talia Lathan has one point with a round of questions for Talia coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Talia about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Saladin and Talia will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. 
Hey, kid. Your dad tell you about the time he broke Stephen Dorff's nose at the Kids' Choice Awards? In Dead Pilot Society, scripts that were developed by studios and networks but were never produced are given the table reads they deserve. When I was a kid, I had to spend my Christmas break filming a PSA about angel dust. So yeah, being a kid sucks sometimes. Presented by Andrew Reich and Ben Blacker. Dead Pilot Society, twice a month on MaximumFun.org. You know, the show you like, that hobo with the scarf who lives in a magic dumpster. (laughs) Doctor Who? Yeah! Hey there, beautiful people. Did you hear that good, good news? Something about the baby Jesus? Mm, He's coming back! Or do you mean the fact that (laughs) Apple Podcasts has named Fanti one of the best shows of 2020? I mean, we already knew that we was hot stuff, but a little external validation never hurts, okay? Hosted by me, writer and journalist Jared Hill. And me, the ebony enchantress myself, (laughs) (laughs) Travel Anderson. Fanti is your home for complex conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the people, places, and things. We're huge fans of, but got some anti-feelings toward. You name it, we fan-tie you. Nobody's off limits. Check us out every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your Slayworthy audio. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Saladin Ahmed and Talia Lavin. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Talia, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the TV show Star Trek The Next Generation, the author Terry Pratchett, and the Monkey Island video game series. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us why you chose Star Trek The Next Generation as one of your topics. I actually only got into Star Trek since the beginning of the pandemic. Obviously, I'd been told all my life that Star Trek is amazing. I just was intimidated by the portrayal of the fandom, like Mm -hmm. in pop culture, the kind of comic book guy from The Simpsons sort of gatekeeper (laughs) stuff. And I was scared of like, and also intimidated by like, how do you start something with like 18 different franchises? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A friend told me, Start with TNG. Yes. Start with the second season of TNG. <laughs> and I just kind of fell in love with it and <laughs> watched it all last year. So very recently. And I mean, I think I fell in love with how utopian it was. Mm. Just yes. like there to imagine a, a post-scarcity world of like luxury space communism. <laughs> I've never heard it put that way, but that's exactly what it is. Yes. Helen, <laughs> Hel- this would probably be one of Helen topics also if she were a guest on the show. I so. am obsessed with the next generation, and I, like you, am not a rabid fan of the entire – because there are so many different iterations of Star Trek, and – started from when I was a kid watching it growing up and just being like, wow, there's Asian people without accents on this show. Like, imagine that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm not like a real Trekkie or whatever, but I just, I loved how earnest and genuine and welcoming everyone was. All right, well, you also said you know a lot about the author Terry Pratchett. Tell us about that. I just really love him. I can't remember when I started reading the Discworld books. Uh, They're just comfort food for me. I love that there's sort of a lot of allegories to queerness in his novels and there's a lot of humor there. Like he's just openly making fun of silly things like Shakespeare or Phantom of the Opera. 
There's so much humor and a lot of heart. All right. And finally, you said you know a lot about the Monkey Island video game series. I first played Escape from Monkey Island when I was a kid. And then I was obsessed with it. It was so funny. And like, you play insult sword fighting. There's like a like very important plot point resolved involving a greased duck. Like <laughs> there's a character named Marco de Pollo. Like it, it's just yeah, another plot point involving prosthetic intestines. Like yeah, which 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 you know a lot more about uh, thanks to this show today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So to summarize, Talia, you said you know a lot about the TV show Star Trek: Next Generation, author Terry Pratchett, and the Monkey Island video games. Today we're going to quiz you about Star Trek: The Next Generation. Woo-hoo! Oh no! Woo-hoo! Oh no! Okay. That's weird. That ta- like... ta- Talia seems concerned, and Helen is celebrating. <laughs> Well, I'll do this. You're gonna steal like all the questions. This well, is just terrible. And well, I will be, you... and I'll be biting my own tongue, to be honest. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, before we uh, encounter your doom, let's talk about some of the positive <laughs> stuff. Uh, do you have any favorite episodes or characters of Star Trek: Next Generation? I love Q. I think he's gay for Picard, and I ship it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I asked. Like he shows up like nude with a mariachi band. Hundred like, percent bad yeah. for Jean Luc. He whispers in his ear very closely. <laughs> yeah, he does. I'm gonna take your word for it. I believe I am the only one on this call and maybe listening who has never seen an episode of any Star Trek. Oh. What? All right. No. Just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with our three-part question. But before that, Talia, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints in these five questions. Now, Saladin, do listen closely because, as Talia mentioned, you can steal if she gets any of them wrong. Saladin, by the way, how much do you know about Star Trek The Next Generation? Oh, fair amount, I'm afraid. A fair amount. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, Talia, you got your work cut out for you. Let's start with question number one. Although he had a successful acting career before and after Star Trek The Next Generation, what actor had to wait for 16 years after the show ended its run before receiving his knighthood from Queen Elizabeth? Uh, Patrick Stewart. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Sir Patrick Stewart now. Because he's a sir. He is a sir. You did not need the hint in that, but I know, Helen, you were eager to give that hint. What would that hint have been? He has also played Professor X and co-starred with me on the sitcom Blunt Talk. That's right. You got to work with Patrick Stewart. Oh, it was like literally one of the highlights of my life. And his as well, I'm sure. He is a lovely, lovely human being. So, yay. Yay, Mm. indeed. All right, here's question number two, Talia. Many of the characters on TNG are universally beloved, and some are not. The actor who portrayed one character has often referred to his role as the Jar Jar Binks of the show, and some Trekkies were disappointed when he stayed aboard the ship even when his mother left for a season. Who was this ensign, the youngest crew member of the Enterprise? Oh, Wesley Crusher. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Fun fact, Wesley, of course, was played by Will Wheaton, who you can hear compete against his wife, Anne Wheaton, on episode 25 of Go Fact Yourself. Oh, my God. You played against his wife? played against his wife. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) All right. Here's question number three. The valiant crew of the Enterprise was very talented in the field of song and dance. Captain Picard plays a resican flute. Dr. Crusher is an accomplished tap dancer. Data gives violin concerts. But what brass musical instrument does Commander Riker play? The trombone. Trombone. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. Very excitedly said and very correct. (laughs) I just love that he has a trombone. I know. Also, (laughs) 
It's so funny. Yeah, that's the kind of thing you want to bring it's... into space if you're there for a long time. Got to bring your trombone. It's so, it's so funny that he's like this like sexy, you know, like he's a playa. And then he busts out this trombone and he's still <laughs> supposed to be this like snack in space for playing a trombone. He totally is. And like he has, he has this whole like thing with the Deanna who's the sexy girl. And then he's just like, <laughs> and I play the trombone. <laughs> like, yeah, well, and there's classical music concerts every five minutes on, on TNG. It's the classiest all, like, spaceship in the world. You gotta that's pad my, out those episodes sometimes. It's my favorite thing is that they all like have downtime at the same time. Like they're never not together. <laughs> and they're just like, yes, and then now we're putting on Cyrano de Bergerac in space. Like, <laughs> of course. All right. Well, fun fact, Jonathan Frakes, who portrayed Commander Riker, played his trombone on the nineteen ninety four fish album Hoist. He really what? could play the trombone. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yep. It was on All a right. fish album? A okay. Fish album. That is I'm mind blown right now. You're three for three. You've still got your two hints available. Here's question number four, Talia. Whoopi Goldberg, as the mysterious bartender Guinan, presides over the ten forward lounge aboard the Enterprise. What earth drink does she introduce to Lieutenant Worf, which he declares to be a drink of warriors? Okay, I need a I need a hint. Uh, Helen, how about that first hint? It's made from dried plums and keeps you regular. Oh, prune juice. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. I should know this given my Jewish background. (laughs) (laughs) There used to be like Yiddish ads for Del Monte Prune Juice. Prune Juice. Uh, Fun fact, although prunes are a dried fruit, their juice is made from soaking them in boiling water and straining out the solids. So prune juice is really more like a prune tea, and I'm still not touching this stuff. Here's question number five. You have a chance to go five for five, Talia. When Captain Picard was a student at Starfleet Academy, he was mentored by a wise old groundskeeper. When Wesley Crusher attended, that same groundskeeper was still around and mentored him as well. Who was this gardener who helped steer the course of the Federation? Okay, I remember the, the episode. I just don't remember the guy's name, so I'm going to use my second hint. Helen, Sorry. how about that second hint? His name sounds like an old payphone enclosure that contains an insect that can sting you. Oh, oh, it's uh, Boothby. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Congratulations, Talia. Laven is five for five. I was like, Bentley? <laughs> like, I knew it was a started with a B, but Boothby. Well, you got what it. What a name. You got it. Congratulations. Fun fact, Boothby was played by Ray Walston, who had played the title character on the sitcom My Favorite Martian, a show which aired its last episode four months before Star Trek, the original series, aired its first. All right, Talia, you obviously did very well in that round, but now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Talia, at the end of the first season, Lieutenant Tasha Yar was senselessly murdered by an evil alien oil slick, but the actor who portrayed her returned in later episodes as her own half-Romulan daughter. So for up to three points, what was Lieutenant Yar's job title on the Enterprise? What was the name of her daughter? And who was the actor who played them both? Okay, she was the security chief. All right. The actress's name was Denise, I think, Richards? Denise Richards. Denise Richards. Denise something. Okay. And the third, what was the third question? What was the name of her daughter, who was half Romulan? I remember what she looked like. She had this cool, like, 
uniform and like a bowl cut mm. and I don't know, banana. Banana. Yeah. Banana <laughs> was the name of the half Romulan daughter. Wow, amazing. I got it right. All right, <laughs> we'll find out. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Oh, God, I have to collect myself. <clears throat> Joining us tonight is an actor and producer whose numerous film and television roles include playing Lieutenant Tasha Yar and her daughter on Star Trek The Next Generation. It's Denise Crosby. Denise, I'm sorry I got your last name wrong. (laughs) Hello, Denise Crosby. (laughs) Denise Richards. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't hang up. Don't hang up, Denise Crosby. (laughs) Richards. Yes, I was married to Charlie Sheen. Denise <laughs> <laughs> Richards married to Charlie Sheen. She was, yes, yes. yes. Oh, okay, okay. And, and she played I'm... a and she played a nuclear scientist in a James Bond movie, but that's a topic for another day. Of course she did. Of course she did. I'm oh, really sorry, Denise. Oh, Talia, Talia. <laughs> I'm gonna. If I could, I would just spank you, Denise. I am freaking out. Freaking <laughs> out. I am such a huge fan, and honestly, like, you are sorely, sorely missed after you left and you weren't in every single episode. Like, I'm freaking out. Oh, Helen. Oh, that's so sweet of you. You know, my favorite thing, of course, is, is like the young girls that were watching back then in, you know, 1987 when the show first came on, who are now young women, who have, you know, said that that depiction of that character, you know, gave them permission to be who they are. I was one of those little girls watching. Um, And the fact that you were the security officer and you could fight anybody in a physical fight and beat them and you didn't always need to use your taser like you could physically just throw down with people and you were just you were such a badass and also I don't know if this is what you were alluding to but the fact that you had short hair you know like a cropped sort of a little bit of a more masculine hair like everything about it was just so great oh yeah the slicked back hair was amazing and I'm so sorry that I I just confused beautiful Denise's what what happened (laughs) Okay. Um, Apology accepted. Yay. <laughs> Let's move on and ask a little bit more about your role on, on TNG. You actually were originally supposed to play a different part. Did I have that right? They originally were, were thinking of me as Deanna Troy and Marina Sirtis, who ends up playing Deanna Troy as Tasha Yar. Somewhere in the midst of our auditions, Jane Roddenberry asked if we would be willing to switch. So we went home and looked at that and came back and auditioned in in those roles, and that's what ended up getting cast. Very cool. Well, uh, you mentioned you're leaving the show and then coming back. Why did you want to come back after having left the show? I left the show, you know, it was was a a long, drawn-out, sort of thoughtful process. Right. The first season, it's it's interesting because I I listened to Talia um, talk about people suggesting, you know, you start with season two and the next generation. There are episodes where I was scratching my head saying that there's no way we can get this on the air. There's just no way. So it took a while to find their footing, it sounds like. Really around the third season when Michael Piller comes in and is the showrunner, do things start to coalesce. That was really my reasoning for leaving the show. I was very worried that the writing was just not going to support it. 
all of a sudden I get a call out of the blue from one of the exec producers saying, you know, they've, they've got this amazing script and Tasha Yar is alive. Would you read it? We, we want you to play her, of course. And I thought, oh my God, how are they going to do this? You know, and the script was amazing. And, mm. you know, it's, it's one of the best episodes of the next gen called Yesterday's Enterprise. And it brings Tasha back. I think also, you know, I think you came back because the fans wanted you back. I, I, you know, I think that in in the one season that you played Tasha Yar, you made such an impression that in the future seasons, like they kept trying to bring you back in some form or other. Like they met, we met your sister. We went, to, <laughs> right. we went to your home world. So they had to cast an actress who sort of could play your sister. Then they, you know, did this back in time where you're alive and then that you have a daughter and they bring you back that way so like and also data doesn't data pull up the hologram on on, you know and just kind of oh tasha (laughs) 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 yeah we talked about the uh, ferocity, let us say, of the fans of Star Trek. You actually helped bring more of that image to the world by being a producer on Trekkies, a documentary about Star Trek fans uh, and its uh, sequel. Uh, tell us about how you got involved in that and what that experience was like to, to meet those people close up and show them to the world. I started to be fascinated by the stories of relationships and friendships and gatherings and this common bond and you know, what was driving people to gather like this? So I had worked with a director named uh, Roger Nygaard on his first film called High Strong. He and I stayed friends and we were having lunch one day and I'd come back from a convention. And I said, God, I'm just, I'm so fascinated by all the, the fandom and the stories people tell me. Somebody should make a documentary. And he said, okay, I'm done. I'm tired of hearing this. We're making a documentary. <laughs> and I said, we, we're making a documentary? We've never made a documentary. He said, it, it's, we're, we're going to figure it out. It really is such a fun watch and, and such a celebration of culture. And, and I think a lot of people would be surprised at the diversity of, of people that you come across. And that's such a, a great symbol of what the Star Trek franchises have done is bringing so many different kinds of people together. Yeah, absolutely. And next year is the 25th anniversary of Trekkies. Wow. You can believe it. Jeez, Very Louise. cool. Wow. Yes. Well, of course, you have a life outside of Star Trek. Tell us about this theater project that you were doing as part of a way to deal with the pandemic. Oh, this is so I belong to, and so does Gates McFadden, speaking of um, Star Trek. We are members of the Ensemble Studio Theater here in L.A. There's one in New York. It originated in New York. So there's a playwrights unit in the our theater company, and they have written a six-part soap space opera, <gasps> a space soap opera. Oh, my it's God. It's sort of like what we did over the pandemic, okay? So right. the theater has been shut, obviously. Mm-hmm. So we have made a six-part film project called In Search of a Pig. We've all been filming remotely. We have a green screen that we put up. It's edited to look like we're all on this hand-drawn spaceship. Oh, perfect. Cool. I love By it. By the so time cool. this airs, it, it will be all parts available on them. You go to vimeo.com forward slash on demand forward slash a pig. A pig. Awesome. <laughs> a and then pig. 
last thing I want to ask you about, you've been doing your own writing, and I understand that you have a momentous uh, publication coming out, your first time being published. I am humbled by these two amazing writers. Of course, I would be on this show with them, of all people. Um, but I have been writing. I've been doing these um, incredible Zoom workshops over the pandemic, and there's an anthology that I'm going to be a part of. It's a great collection of writers and poets, and it's sort of about what they wrote about during the pandemic. It's not necessarily about the pandemic, but it's what they were writing about during the pandemic. The anthology will be called Side-Eyed on the Apocalypse, and it uh, will be available on Amazon. There, It's in its final editing with the... Mm -hmm. uh, Bambaz Press. I got in, you know, with my little weird piece I wrote and I'm pinching myself. I can't believe that, you know, I, I'm going to be in this very rarefied air with these writers. I mean, I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a baby with this, but yeah. uh, I, start, I start my next um, class next week <laughs> and um, off we go. Congratulations, Denise. The writing is just all you have to do to be a writer is write a lot. That's basically the key. Yep. That's you just do it and and then you are it. Yes. Thank you so much. Well, let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the questions that we asked of Talia. We wanted to know first, what was Lieutenant Yar's job title on the Enterprise? Helen, what did Talia say? Talia said security chief. And Ms. Crosby? Yes. That was correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. Next, we wanted to know, what was the name of her half-Romulan daughter? Helen, please, I'm delighted to hear it again. What did Talia say that name was? Talia said banana. And is that correct? Uh, no. <laughs> no, not quite exactly. What was her name? Her name is Commander Sela. Sela. Yes, Sela. Often confused with banana, I'm sure. And finally wanted to know, who was the actor who played them both? Helen, what did Talia say? <laughs> Talia said, Denise Richards. And? <laughs> no, silly, it was me. It was you. <laughs> Denise Crosby. I'm sorry. Do, no, do you want to give her a half point there, or do you want to deduct a point for being? Give me, give me negative <laughs> 10 points. This is terrible. No, I like. I think you should give her half a point. A half Yay. a point. Very, very generous and forgiving. <laughs> Talia, is there anything else you'd like to say or ask of our expert, Denise Crosby? Thank you so much. I'm so sorry you got killed by a weird slick of oil. <laughs> and I'm so glad you're here. And thank you. And TNG's awesome. And I'm very starstruck. And I'm sorry I forgot your last name. You'll never forget it again, Talia. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Denise Crosby, it's so wonderful to have you here. If people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they do that? They can follow me on Twitter at the Denise Crosby. It's verified. So no, don't don't take any less. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Except no imitations. We're so happy that we had you join us today. Denise Crosby. Pleasure, guys. All right, Helen, what is our score as we go into the final round? At the end of that round, Saladin Ahmed has nine points and Talia Lavin has seven and a half points. All right, now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Saladin and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Saladin, there's an airline called JetBlue. True. Correct. 
Talia, JetBlue gives names to their airplanes. True? Correct. Saladin, JetBlue named an airplane Blue Kid on the block. False. Incorrect. Nope, they really did. Talia, JetBlue named an airplane Yours Bluely. False. Incorrect. <laughs> nope, they really did. Saladin, JetBlue named an airplane Don't Hate Me Because I'm Blutiful. <laughs> False. Incorrect. Nope, they really did. Talia, JetBlue named an airplane Aruba, Jamaica, Blue, I Want to Take Ya. Okay, this one's got to be false. I'm not breaking the streak. Incorrect. Nope, it was true. Saladin, JetBlue named an airplane Pretty Fly for a Blue Guy. That's got to be false. Incorrect. (laughs) Nope, they really did. Talia, JetBlue named an airplane Blue's Your Daddy. Okay, I'll say true and, and yeah. True. Correct. Now you're getting hey. the hang of it. <laughs> Saladin, JetBlue named an airplane new number, Blue Dis. <laughs> that one's false. Incorrect. No, they Come really on. did. Talia, JetBlue named an airplane, yes, I'm a natural blue. Uh, true? That is correct. And finally, Saladin, JetBlue named an airplane funny, you don't look bluish. <laughs> False. No, that one would be ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> let's thank Saladin Ahmed and Talia Levin as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce the winner of today's show? Oh my gosh, it is such a close game, Jake Keith. At the end of the game, Saladin Ahmed has 10 points and Talia Levin has 10 and a half points. Oh, oh my goodness, congratulations. Quite a comeback. Congratulations, Talia. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. Talia, what will you do with your championship? apologize like so profusely to Janice Crosby but also <laughs> but you've already done that I'm gonna go back and, and watch the episode where Tasha Yar dies and shake my fist at <laughs> <in> the skies <laughs> that sounds like an excellent use of your reign of championship alright that just leaves everybody on the panel the opportunity to promote anything that you might like Saladin Ahmed where can people find you and your work I'm on Twitter far too much under Saladin Ahmed and uh, I'm also publishing comics now at Copper Bottle Net. Excellent. Well, we thank you so much for joining us, Saladin Ahmed. And uh, Talia Levin, where can people find you? Um, you can also find me on Twitter um, at chick underscore in underscore Kiev, K-I-E-V. You can find me on Substack as well at The Sword and the Sandwich. You can also buy my book, Culture Warlords, My Journey into the Dark Web of White Supremacy, which is a harrowing but occasionally funny journey into the uh, depths of the human mind. Interesting. Well, we're certainly happy that you joined us in our deep dive here today. Thank you so much, Talia Levin. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my hosting partner is the funny, the Helen, the Hong, Ms. Helen Hong. Helen, which of your many projects would you like to tell our listeners about today? Please follow me on the socials at funny Helen Hong. If you go now, you can see our child dressed as Coach Lasso for Halloween. It's so cute. Just so cute. So at cute. funny Helen Hong. Yes. Uh, by the way, I saw a lot of people dressed as uh, Coach Lasso. I did not enjoy any of them, and I have a feeling that I will enjoy very much seeing the child of your home <laughs> dressed as Ted Lasso. That's fantastic. <laughs> Helen Hong, everybody. And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith and on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Talia Lavin, Saladin Ahmed, Alan Oppenheimer, Denise Crosby, and thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. Someday, someday soon, I think, it'll be free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod. 
update our wiki at gofactyourwiki.fandom.com, and buy our T-shaped shirt at maxfunstore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like Rachel Onstad did on Apple Podcasts. He, she, or they said, getting better all the time. It's not easy to make a good quiz show. Thanks, Rachel Onstad. It isn't, but we're happy to do it for you. Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and Jake Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Our show engineer is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif. Quiz assistance provided by Clint Tauscher and Mike Ivianos, Kurt Carley, and Ryan Long. Promotional graphics by Erich Tran. Added support from Scott J. Langto, Dave Bianchi, and Christine Vallada. Special thanks to Juliet Green at Juliet Green Management, Sam Frischman at CESD Talent Agency, and Benjamin Harrison and Adam Pranica of the Greatest Generation Podcast. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go watch Star Trek Next Generation, because I've never seen it. Oh, I can't believe you. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.